0: Why did a minor league baseball owner buy a fifth-tier soccer club in England? We're going to get to that answer today. Uh, I saw that question initially posed in a story by Steve Brenner for The Athletic. Naturally, I read through the story and, for the most part, uh, had a big smile on my face during that. Peter Freund is the owner of three minor league baseball teams, including the Class A affiliate to the New York Yankees, where he is a minority owner. Now, there is some soccer ownership lineage here. Peter owns the new USL franchise in Tennessee, the Memphis 901 FC. And yes, he owns Dagenham and Redbridge. Never heard of them? Me either. Fifth division, where they currently play, is non-league football in England. It's called the National League. And he's a New York guy, a graduate of Horace Mann High School in Riverdale, currently resides in Westchester County. Peter Freund, welcome to the Soccer City Spotlight. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, I say let's get right to the question of why, uh, when you read the entire biography, there isn't that doesn't seem to be a particular large amount of soccer in there. No, and
1: and the connectivity um, is is somewhat ironic. You know, I'm a I'm a late soccer fan, which I actually. Um, really appreciate because I think a lot of America is a late soccer fan. Uh, You know, I think that we talk about the millennials and um, their love of the sport, but certainly sort of my generation, especially growing up in New York, and we were talking about you know the the Mike and the Mad Dog WFAN generation of you know Daryl Strawberry and 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 the Mets and and Patrick Ewing and the Knicks and you know this was just not even in our lexicon. Soccer wasn't even a part of our world uh, at all. So honestly, and I can bring it back to Memphis uh, before we get to London. The way I got involved in soccer was we have this ten thousand five hundred seat stadium in Memphis, Tennessee. Where we have 71 baseball games a year, it's a 142 game schedule for the AAA Cardinals, which is the Memphis Redbirds, and we were sitting down trying to figure out how to fill the stadium for you know more openings, and it was really that simple. It was that basic. We had bid on the SEC baseball championship and and lost it to uh, to Birmingham and we started to really see the momentum behind what was the what was the usl and nasl those two leagues and their growth throughout the united states and we started to do our research and i started to go to matches um and that's really where it all started that was about three years ago uh and what what
0: matches were you going to what what turned you on to the sport
1: uh, well um at simultaneously we had the yankees which i'm lucky enough to be a partner with with my father uh, bringing in nycFC we had the Red Bulls my daughter was playing youth you know soccer um, and it just started to all snowball so I did everything from um, international friendlies that came over here to the United States uh, I did everything from just USL division two games uh to MLS games so um, I started to just branch out and try to understand not only the business but as I was doing that I became more and more passionate and then the next thing I knew like my wife would turn to me at like 11 p.m. and I'd be watching some Bundesliga game or I'd be watching, you know, La Liga or, you know, Sunday mornings. I'd be watching Premier League and it became an obsession. And then I started reading all the books on, you know, on on English soccer. Um, so really what happened to me and it's it's as authentic as I can say it is because I'm certainly not um, like I am with the Yankees, which is a you know hard and true, never missed an opening day fan This is something that is fairly new to me, but once it got inside of me, I can't let it go. Um, And it became an infatuation, uh, which I think is what soccer does. It takes hold of you, right? And that's what you see throughout Europe, uh, where this is the lives of these people, and it just resonates in a way that I don't think any other sport does. Um, From a culture standpoint, uh, from from a uh from a lifestyle standpoint so um, bottom line i'm a i'm a new fan but uh and when I say new maybe three years but I am all in on
0: soccer I, I want to get to the passion part especially when uh, you make those sojourns uh across the ocean but it, did you I, i'm curious did you did you ever watch the World Cup 2010 2014 no no wow yeah so you you There are many. I I remember receiving a call on a talk show with someone who called in uh, an American guy who uh, had uh, watched the World Cup in 2014. And he said, I when do these guys play again? You know, he knew nothing. But it it turned him on to the sport by watching it at a high level like that. And uh, so the very similar experience for you.
1: Oh, for sure. And, and and obviously, you know, taking it to the next step of going to an Arsenal game or actually, you know, one of the best experiences is going to a, a, a Brentford Queens Park Rangers game, you know, like the, you know, the London Derby, you know, between two championship sides and seeing that passion, never seen anything
0: like it in my life. What What's what's the difference? Because you've been obviously in a, in a baseball park uh, all over the country. You've probably been to football games, basketball arenas. Like, what? how, how would you describe the difference, the passion?
1: Well, first of all, um, the singing, (laughs) Uh, that that definitely changes things. Uh, But, um, you know, I I really And the lyrics to those songs. And the lyrics to the songs (laughs) are phenomenal. But I really do feel as if, um, and I I suppose I've never been a- So again, being a New Yorker, one thing that's unique about us as sports fans versus I think the rest of the United States is um, we're not- generally speaking and don't take this the wrong way as a rutgers coach but we're not generally college uh fans so i think that um you know when you think about when alabama and clemson played last night they're 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 saturdays right in alabama it's all about that football game right we we never really had that in new york uh, at least in my fan experience and but i you do get that sense and i'll use england as the best example of wherever that community is that Saturday, that match, that's everything. That's everything generationally for them. Um, so, you know, and I know that you have Yankee fans who live and breathe it, and I do as well. But but I think this is more of a um, – it's just it's just something that you can't put your finger on until you've really experienced it. And, and the best example of that, and, and I know everybody knows this, but in England – you know, they won't put the Chelsea Man U match on television at three o'clock on a Saturday because they want every fan and every you know person in England to go support their local club, whether it's a Peterborough or Dagenham and Redbridge or an Aldershot or yeah. all these clubs that. Um, I never could name three years ago, and now I could probably name every club from Championship League One, League Two, National League, National League South, and National League North. So, you know, it's fascinating to me, uh, and it's just a world that is is all new to me.
0: All right. Uh, Peter Freund, our guest, he's the owner of Dagenham and Redbridge. Am I pronouncing pronouncing that correctly? Perfect. Okay, so those are actually two towns, right? Correct. That, so, that merged into, uh, and I well, the next step of this is ha- how did this happen? Yeah, good question.
1: <laughs> so, uh, so, well, I'll get to. Um, we decided to moving back. We decided to um, join the USL as an expansion club in Memphis. Uh, and we started to... So Memphis
0: came before England.
1: Correct. Memphis came before England. East Um, London. East East London. Uh, However, uh, technically speaking, uh, I've been able to enjoy the uh, Dagenham experience because we're actually playing right now, and we've been playing a full season under my ownership, whereas Memphis doesn't kick off until March of 2019. So everything... Where where are
0: you standing in the table right now? Tell tell me about that, because you're in this fifth division. Obviously, your goal is to... uh, promotion into the uh, the football league
1: into the football league right so so where we are is um the first two months uh and i i do think this was all part of my trial by fire the first two months of our season were very difficult uh we had 9 points we were at the bottom of the table in the relegation zone which i was never a consideration for me when i first started looking at english football clubs and tried to think about them from a business standpoint um the first thing that was important to me was uh, was logistics, right? So I live in New York. I can't really have a club that's in Wales somewhere, right? Or I can't land in London and have to get on a train for six hours to go to some country town. It's not to say that those aren't really important in those towns, but just from my own lifestyle, I've got two young kids, my wife, it just wasn't going to happen. So the first thing I said was, I need a club in London. So that's easy, right? There's, you know, Chelsea and there's, (laughs) there's, you know, so- How many
0: clubs are there in London? There are are, a
1: dozen clubs. In London. Mm -hmm. And I would say Dagenham and Redbridge is probably the smallest club in London. Um, What's the
0: closest Premiership uh, team? West Ham. West Ham, okay.
1: Yeah, so West Ham is just down the road, and the West Ham U-23s train at our ground. Our ground's called Victoria Road. It was uh, found in 1917. It's absolutely gorgeous. Row houses all around it. It's as romantic as you can think of romance. I mean, Ivy, and and you've got this town in East London as London grows, much like New York City has grown out, right? That's what's happening to East London. So, you know, what is a very diverse and um, I would say economically... Um, lower, you know, uh, a lower level of economics in in East London and Dagenham, um, but what's happening is the suburbs are growing out, right? So, so we see a real growth opportunity for the club. Um, it's certainly it's London, right? It's thirty minutes from the heart of downtown. Uh, so. What really ended up happening was we were looking for a club. Uh, we were lucky enough to find this club that really had, like many of these soccer teams, financial troubles. And they were trying to raise money from their supporters uh, to to stay afloat. And uh, we came in uh, with the idea of basically capitalizing the club, which we were able to do. But the problem was their roster was such that there were all these young kids. They had really nobody that they were able to go out and sign because the, the dollars weren't there. Hmm. And ironically enough... Who comes in to take over the club as the manager? Who wants this challenge? Is a gentleman named Peter Taylor, who you know coached the English national team, gave David Beckham his you know captain's armband, and he's our he's our coach, right? So we've got Peter Taylor (laughs) also uh,
0: uh, coached at Leicester City,
1: coached at Leicester City, Crystal Palace star, you know, I mean he's a very well known entity over there. So we've got this very old club that dates back to 1881, Dagenham Football Club and Redbridge Forest that merged in 1992. I Believe because of finances at the time, and with this generational fan base in basically London, uh, with you know a a, a a certainly a EFL coach who was coaching Gilling, uh, Gilliam last year, and uh, and we fell into this, and it's absolutely been fantastic. So uh, nine points in the relegation zone, first two months of the of the season. We started to um, really work hard to identify what players we could bring in. Uh, we brought in a couple great players on loan. I, I won't go into everybody's names, but you know, uh, from Connor Wilkinson to to you know Belanta to all of these guys that have now made the core of our club. We actually. Uh, do, do, you do you have a goal score? Do you have a goal scorer? We do. We do. We have two great goal scorers, two great strikers. Um, but that's actually one of my new worlds is I'm actually negotiating right now on a contract uh, to keep that goal scorer. Because one thing that also happens when you're in the National League, which is in the fifth tier of English football, is, as you can imagine, just like AAA baseball or AA baseball— Everybody who plays for you thinks that they should be in the major leagues, right? So, everybody who's in the National League thinks they should be at League One or League Two or the Championship or even Premier. They all think they're EFL players. So, their agents are somewhat difficult to deal with uh, when we're trying to tie these people up long term. But our vision, uh, mine and Tim Howard's, um, is to take this club back to the English Football League. We will not do it this year. You know, we are comfortably in the middle of the table at this point. Um, and uh, knock on wood, you know, we will will continue to, to remain there, and we will make a, a strong run at it next year. Leighton Orient, uh, which is a, a very old and big club that has fallen down to the National League, is at the top of the table right now, um, as is Salford City, which um, has a payroll about three times the size of ours and is being led by some X-Man U um uh, players, uh, but um, but the reality is that's our goal, and that's what we're what we're striving to do. All
0: right. Well, you mentioned Tim Howard. You just threw that name out, so we have to pursue that. So he, he, I, I've seen his name involved, uh, especially with your Memphis team. He's a minority owner. But what? Does he have a role also um, with, the, uh, with the English club? He does. So everything
1: I do in soccer, I'm doing with Tim. So Tim is an owner of both Dagenham and Redbridge and Memphis 901 FC. Uh, Tim came to me um, about uh, a year or more ago, found out that we had the rights to the expansion uh, USL club in Memphis which they're now calling the championship division. USL has the championship. Yeah, USL's yeah.
0: gone. Uh, yeah, well, you're, you're re- very familiar with those uh, divisions now. So <laughs> it, in England, it's the EPL, the championship, League One, and League Two. And USL's gone the same route.
1: Correct, yeah. yeah. Okay. Which
0: which I think actually makes some sense,
1: mm-hmm. uh, you know, just from a uh, an understanding of, of the sport. Obviously, there's no promotion but relegation. No yeah.
0: Now, as an American sports fan, yeah. an American owner of sports, this pro-rel thing... I think you look at it now with uh, Dagenham and Redbridge as, as a good thing because mm-hmm. it gives you a chance to, of course. to move up.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know why anybody would buy a Premier League side. I'd be scared to death <laughs> if you buy a fifth, fifth-tier team. Well, this was the irony of us being in the relegation zone in the fifth tier for the first two months because I thought to myself, well, I'm buying a fifth-tier team. I can't go any lower. And then I found out there are nine tiers <laughs> of English football. <laughs> so. Well,
0: uh, your managing director who uh, – is uh, Steve Thompson. He said that if you hadn't arrived on the scene, the club would have been relegated again. And I was thinking to myself, too, it's like, really? How much further can you go? But uh, he 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 gives you a lot of credit and obviously passion some dollars and organization, you know? Well,
1: right. So what what I do, I mean, just really stepping all the way back is what I've done in my career in the sports side is try to take, um, you know, the the diamond in the rough and create something really wonderful out of it. And I've been, knock on wood, very successful uh, in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We took a 1923 stadium uh, that we fully renovated with all new seats and all new field and and, and all new video boards. and, and, And it's really created something wonderful for the Philadelphia. The Phillies organization, and and that's what I've been looking to do here. This is a club that, um, you know, their seats were dilapidated, their their scoreboard is broken. Literally, you sit in the director's box and you have to look at your phone to find out where you are in the match because you don't. there's no time being kept, right? So, so the first yeah. thing we did was we ordered a video board, right? <laughs> sure. um, the, the second thing we did was we ordered new seats because the seats were so broken. Now, what I found out about the difference between, you asked about the difference between the English soccer fan and the American fan, is any place else I've put new seats in In the United States I have fans who come up to me and say thank you so much these seats are so beautiful it's such a difference you've made the stadium so nice when we started installing the seats my Twitter account exploded with the supporters who said what the f is this do seats score goals we don't need new seats they just want they, players they just want players, they want yeah. players why are good. you wasting our money on this <laughs> on the football ground if you're gonna waste that's your money great. over here so I said wow these guys are really passionate
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome yeah. so you have this 6,000 seat stadium there uh, what what kind of um, draw do you have and, and what's the future of that do you think So that's what's really interesting
1: about the business side of it is um, unlike, you know, certainly minor league baseball, um, but even in some senses, major league baseball, though, I'm sure the Yankees would disagree. uh, You know, winning is really everything. And that's really what drives your uh, your gate. Um, So, you know, in minor league baseball, you always say you've done a good job if nobody knows what the score was um, at the end of the game and who won or lost because everybody's had a wonderful fan experience. And a wonderful time with their family, but you know, in English football, when the Dag- when Dagenham and Redbridge was in League One, which is the third tier of English football, they were filling that stadium, and then when they went to League League Two, they were about thirty five hundred a game, and now they're at seventeen hundred a game because they're in the National League. And if we got relegated again, we'd be at eight hundred a-, um, a match. So, so I think that um, you know,
0: the key to the business model is certainly getting back up into the English football league. Yeah, I, I want to get back to Rel for a moment. And uh, you, you mentioned who would want to own a Premier League team with the with the, the threat or the possibility of going down. So, if you ever in your future—and I have no idea if this is something that you desire to do—but if you become an MLS owner, will you push for pro rel? Are you going to be like because you see what's going on? You're you're really directly involved with it. You won't be at Memphis, but you are at the uh, Dagenham and Redbridge.
1: Yeah, I think the issue with MLS and promotion relegation is first of all the nature of the owners in the MLS right so you've got legitimate billionaires who are um, want to protect their asset and I think that that would scare them to death I think that the television dollars would have to be such and the media dollars and obviously the the sponsorship dollars to somehow offset that for you know a Bob Kraft or you know I mean if you look at what's going on in Atlanta I, I certainly wouldn't think that you know that Club would ever face a relegation if it was part of uh, you know uh, uh, that system. But the reality is, um, what I'd like to see happen, and I think the USL is moving toward this, is with the Championship League One and League Two, is at least start that conversation in the within United the States within the USL within the USL. Yeah, and and it I, and, seems and, to make sense. and as a as a person who paid a much higher expansion fee for a Championship club than I did for would have for a League One or a League Two club. Um, I would be a proponent and I would vote for expansion, relega- uh, uh, promotion relegation for the USL. Um, I think it would add a great level of excitement. And I think it would be a differentiator between the USL and the MLS. Um, so I think it's a real opportunity for the USL. And I think that it will be driven by perhaps an ESPN or maybe it's a Netflix or some streaming service that wants to cover that. But I think that's a really But ultimately
0: driven by ownership because those that are in the championship need to support the possibility of someday going down? Yeah,
1: I think I think knowing, I sit on the executive committee of the USL, and I don't speak for the USL, and I certainly don't speak for Alec and and, and Jake and everybody else, but but I think that there's a case that, that can certainly be made for it. And, and I think that ultimately to take the USL to the next level, if that's the, the ultimate goal, then I think it, it will happen at some point.
0: Peter Freund, our guest, uh, he owns Dagenham and Redbridge, which is a fifth-tier team in England in East London. We've talked a lot about that. Also, Memphis for the USL. So let's move on to Memphis. Uh, we mentioned Tim Howard, a minority owner, and another Tim, Tim Mulqueen. Uh, it, this is I, I like this because it's a lot of metropolitan area people. You're a New Yorker, uh, Tim Howard, and Tim Mulqueen, the head coach, both Jersey guys. And uh, let's. Talk about your power structure here. Those are two good guys. It seems to uh, get this thing off the ground.
1: Yeah, we're very lucky. And actually, it's funny because our director of marketing is—he uh, came from the Cosmos. This guy Travis, he's a Brooklyn guy. So, so I've got—I've moved New York into into Memphis. Uh, well but, done. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but um, but. You know, look, we so Tim. The way I look at this is, and, and, and going back to the English football side, the you know Steve Thompson, who you mentioned earlier as the managing director of Dagenham and Redbridge, said the first thing the supporters are going to ask is, "What does some American businessman know about English football?" And he said, "And the well, it's best
0: been said before. You've
1: you've got American ownership now uh, in, in these European leagues." I, exactly. So so their concern was, I was really going to screw it up. And Steve's <laughs> Steve's answer was. Well, he has a goalkeeper as his partner who happened to have played for, you know, Man U and Everton for a decade. So I think he knows
0: a little bit about English football. And that is really the truth. So that really, having Howard on your hip, really legitimized what you could do. Well, it not only legitimizes what we could do, but what I didn't
1: recognize with Tim was when he first approached us, I thought to myself, you know, Tim is—he's a very busy guy. First of all, he's still the goalkeeper for the Colorado Rapids. He's on—you know—he's on television doing commentary for 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 Major League Soccer um, and U.S. National Team stuff. So, so Tim is extremely busy. I had no idea that he would roll up his sleeves and be in the office more than I am. So, whether it's building the club in Memphis, which we have to do from scratch, which is all of his personal relationships that he has built over the years, which starts with Mulch, Tim Mulqueen, right? I mean, he was his his goalkeeper coach, you know, when he since he was, you know, a teenager. Um so everything we've been able to leverage because of Tim and all of these personal relationships mm-hmm. has spread all the way to England because Peter Taylor and Tim go way back as well. And it really not only gives us legitimacy in the soccer world, but it gives us connectivity to people. You know, Dan Siegel, who's a soccer super agent, it gives us connectivity to people that we just would not have otherwise. So Tim is uh, a
0: godsend. And we we talked about this uh, before the uh, interview when I first met you over the phone. Uh, This uh, Mulqueen-Howard relationship is fascinating. And I learned this doing an interview with Tim Mulqueen last year that they, uh, over the years, since Tim Howard was 12 years old, they speak four or five times a week. Are you aware of this? I am aware of it. And
1: and the one story that I could share, which I think I shared with you on the phone, was when Tim Mulqueen was coming to Memphis and keeping in mind his family, you know, he was with Orlando City, so his family was in Florida and he was coming in and out. And then he was going to, you know, spend a month or two while his family was moving to Memphis. And I said, you know, hey, listen, whatever you need as far as, you know, hotel accommodations or if you need like a, a, a temporary rental, he said, no, I'm just staying at Tim's house. And I said, really? Like, I haven't even been invited to Tim Howard's house and you're staying at his house? he's like yeah 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 he's got an extra bedroom don't worry about it so i guess it's a pretty good relationship
0: all right the uh the name of the team memphis 901 fc so i'm sure there's some significance to that name what is it
1: yeah. So the 901 is the area code uh, in Memphis, but it really is become their uh, their mantra in, in downtown Memphis. It is to choose the 901. Uh, and it started because of sort of the growth of Nashville and Memphis has a bit of its, a chip on its shoulder, which we love. Um, and that's sort of the defend Memphis mentality. And the 901 it is also important to us from a from a and I I always I'm told I should never talk about branding and soccer together because really it's not a brand but the reality is you know we talked about this earlier you've got river dogs and red birds and crosscutters and you know all of these fun cute names and really that's not what soccer's about so so we wanted to do something that was serious that spoke authentically to the city of Memphis, and 901 really, I mean, the second we talked to, and and the way we did this, by the way, the way we came up with, with our shield, was we went to the local pub called the Brass Door, which is where the American Outlaws all hang out and they watch football on Sunday mornings. And those were the guys we talked to. We didn't go anywhere else. It was a total grassroots experience. And we said, What do you guys want to see in it? And they're like, Oh, you know, we got to get the 901 and then we've got to do, we've got to do, uh, you know, some kind of musical theme and we've got to have notes and we've got to have neon and we've got to, and that's how this whole thing, and we got to have a crown for Elvis and B.B. King. And so if you look at the shield itself, it's actually an LP record in neon, which is the neon of Beale Street, which is the iconic street in downtown, with a crown on top, which actually forms a letter M, but it's also the BB King Elvis, you know, feel. And the whole thing just sort of came together, and it was really at the grassroots supporter side, and, that's, and those guys are now
0: our supporters club. Uh, so it's really cool. Do you have assurances of what kind of support you will have for these games? Well, the only assurance we have is we did one
1: friendly last season, Um, and, you know, and Tim was in goal and we had the Colorado Rapids in and, uh, we have a 10,500 seat stadium and my uh, president, Craig Unger of the club came to me and he said, look, I'd like to order tarp for behind home plate because I don't think we're going to sell those seats. Uh, so we ordered, uh, about $20,000 worth of custom tarp that spelled out 901 FC <laughs> and, uh, and I was pretty nervous about what we were going to sell for this match. And we got to 2,000 and 3,000 and 5,000 and 6,000. And he called me about a week before the match and he's like, Good news, bad news. And I said, What's that? He goes, Well, the good news is. We're sold out. The bad news is we got $20,000 worth of tarp. We don't know what to do with it. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so we had 10,000 people for it. It was absolutely um Well, electric. you have a new
0: tarp now to cover the uh, baseball diamond when it rains. You know? <laughs> yeah, there exactly.
1: You go. But it was absolutely electric. and, um, and we, awesome. And we really realized that. And we were up against, which was interesting, a Memphis college football game, which takes place at the Liberty Bowl. And we got a lot of flack. Like, why are they scheduling this against a Memphis college football game? And look, Memphis is a, over a million people. It's a big, you know, it's an NBA city. It's a big city. And we said one really has nothing to do with the other. And we prove that, right? The, the the soccer fan is the soccer fan. And the, the American football fan is the American football fan. And we've also seen that in the USL, where a lot of these clubs are playing in baseball stadiums, we've We've got the data. The overlap between the people who go to the baseball game and the people who go to the soccer game is about fifteen
0: percent, one five. So it's really not a massive overlap, right? And do you do you see that maybe you can create, I mean, here you are in East London with your one team where the the, the passion is so obvious, and you described it earlier. Do you think you can create that same sort of atmosphere in Memphis?
1: We hope so. I mean, and look, the drums were out. The smoke bombs were out. The flags were out. The painted faces were out. That was not set up by us. We had nothing to do with any of that. So we do think that this thing will grow. Look, our model, um, if we could be like a Cincinnati, which is, you know, downtown stadium and catch what they were able to do uh, from a passion and from a city standpoint. You know, there are three professional sports teams downtown in, in Memphis, Tennessee. There's the NBA Grizzlies, which, again, you know, that price point, $7,500 a ticket. Uh, you know, that's where the Memphis Redbirds and now Memphis 901 FC really can attract families. and And I think it is going to be the hottest ticket in town, certainly for the
0: next, you know, three to five years. All right. He's uh, Peter Freund. He's the uh, owner of Dagnum and Redbridge in East London, fifth tier. They're going to move up, though. They're going to move up. And uh, and then the inaugural Memphis 901 FC starting uh, this spring in the USL. Peter, good luck with that project. Good luck with all of them. The story is sensational. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate it. You're welcome.